Let me pray. Father, we pray that this evening you'd give us soft hearts as we look at your word, that we'd recognize where we're prone to acting in earthly wisdom, and that by your spirit you'd have us act more and more like the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, who is the most wise person you can think of? Got someone in your head? What is it about them that made you pick them? What are the ingredients of wisdom? Well, here is Al from Winnie the Pooh. He's famously wise. And here's a bit of an introduction to him on the screen. Al is the wise elder of the Hundred Acre Wood and is often called upon by Pooh and the others to help solve problems or explain matters. Al's words of wisdom are sometimes confusing or inaccurate, but his friends don't seem to notice or mind. Al is large in size, speaks eloquently with a British accent, and spells his name W-O-L. Well, what are the ingredients to Al's wisdom? Well, there's status, there's recognition, knowledge, there's a, a bit of mystique thrown in. He's big in stature. He's eloquent in his speech. He speaks with authority and he's got a good, solid British accent. Now, maybe that's a bit of a caricature of who we view to be wise in our culture, but it, it certainly shows a bit of popular thinking and it maybe just gives a bit of a hint into some of the flaws of that thinking. This evening, we're looking at this passage where James writes to address a misunderstanding or at least a misacting about what wisdom really is. He wants to really nail the flaw in the thinking. Here's his question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? And remember, we've seen through the book of James, he's writing to people who would say they follow Jesus. And clearly here, he's writing to people who'd, who'd think they know what wisdom is, and they're trying to be wise. But the question is, of his readers, are they going about it the wrong way? The question of us this evening is, do we go about trying to be wise in the wrong way? And we're going to see three things this evening. The problem with earthly wisdom, the damage of earthly wisdom, and a solution. So James wants to say, look, here's the problem with earthly wisdom in verses 13 to 18. He asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The question is, if you're wise, how do you show it? It's quite common for us to say, well, Wisdom is shown by IQ or education, degrees, knowledge, or maybe you'd say it's shown by being streetwise, how you navigate a certain, a certain situation. Because you never ever meet a person who says, nah, I don't want to be wise. Everyone wants to be wise, but what do we really mean? Sometimes what we want is recognition. Sometimes it's status, reputation. Sometimes it's the satisfaction of being right. Sometimes it's having things within your control. But how does James say wisdom is shown? 
Not by any of those things. Look at verse 13. It's by deeds done in humility. It's not by formal education, which demands recognition, not by promotion to a certain position, which demands prestige, not by certain achievements, which attract people's glory, or by the solution of problems, which encourages self-satisfaction, not by building a reputation of being someone that knows how to deal with an issue. It's not by being in control and not having to compromise on what you want, but it's by deeds done in humility. It's by choosing to make the right decision when not seeking to promote yourself. By choosing to do the right thing in God's eyes when no one is watching. I wonder, do you claim to be wise in what you say and yet draw attention to your deeds? Do you want recognition? Do you want to be wise in what you say, but deep down, envy the position of others is status what you want do we claim to be wise in what we say but yet not live consistently when no one's watching are we all for show do i say i want to be wise in how i act and yet really i'm desperate to draw attention to the things that i own do i want that reputation do you tell yourself you're trying to make wise decisions but actually You're desperate to just be proven right. Well, here's what James has to say, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. See, cultivating jealousy and selfish ambition it grows a heart that is turned inward james says it's ready to do every evil practice for the sake of self bitter envy and selfish ambition they they go together because at their very root they say i want to be number one not you and see there in verse 15 james is is pulling out his air quotes again when he says such wisdom what you might call wisdom is earthly wisdom. It's not really wisdom at all. See, at the heart of what James calls earthly wisdom is envy and selfish ambition. Where might you be in danger of cultivating selfish ambition? How would you notice? Well, how do you feel when you don't get the recognition? when your status is overlooked, when people don't notice you, when you don't get the achievement that you were hoping for? Or what about envy, jealousy? How will you notice if that's gripping you? Well, how does it feel when someone else is praised over and above you? When someone else gets the thing that you wanted? When you look at somebody else's situation, their family, house, achievements, how do you feel? Because James says in verse 16, where you cultivate selfish ambition and breed envy, there you'll find disorder and evil practice. Because there's a difference between being wise and being desperate to be seen to be wise. If our desire is to be seen to be wise, 
we'll inevitably be willing to compromise on humility. We'll inevitably be filling our thoughts with a desperate desire to look good, a selfish ambition, or we'll be filling our minds with a desperate dissatisfaction of how lucky or happy other people are. We'll be breeding envy. But verse 17 says what wisdom really is. Look, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. It's pure. See, there is no ulterior motive to the actions of real wisdom. The first mark of true wisdom is the evidence of a good life, the deeds done in humility. A truly wise person, James says, will be gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good deeds. See, if you could put it down to one sentence, it would be this. It's not about image projection. It's genuine. It's not about image projection. It's genuine. It's not about what you're seen to be. It's about what you actually are. It's pure, James says. That's why when you coach someone, in any setting, sport, business, in in work, in leadership, or even in the context of bringing up children. It's brilliant when you can catch someone doing something well, when they're not asked. Ideally, when they don't even know that you're watching. Maybe it's parenting. When my two-year-old son wants to comfort my three-month-old son, he's completely unaware of my presence in the room. He just desperately wants his little brother to be happy and comfort him so as he cries he goes up to him and he says be happy smile he's not forced to he's not been asked to he doesn't even know i'm watching he just genuinely cares and it's it's lovely to be able to catch him doing something well now in the same way wisdom isn't about being able to look good or sound good in the two minutes of limelight when you know everyone's watching you It's the good marks that are are not done for the prestige of the occasion, the recognition. And so that's why it's vital that we let God's spirit work in us to diagnose where we're in danger of acting in earthly wisdom when no one's watching. That we let God's word ask these questions of us that we'd go away and want to change because The reality is it's relatively easy to fake it before others for some amount of time. But there's a real, real danger that if we pursue this kind of earthly wisdom, if we think we're getting away with it, if we cultivate selfish ambition and we encourage envy, then it will take hold. That's what James is saying. That's the problem with earthly wisdom. James says there will be disorder. And every evil practice when we seek to be wise with an earthly wisdom. It's what we heard this morning. At its very root, it's saying me, me, me. And there will be disorder. And what we'll see is there will be damage. There'll be two kinds of damage. I recently read Peter Crouch's autobiography. He's a retired footballer who's mostly known for being really, really tall and having long limbs. He's also known for saying things as they are 
and he played a bit of football as well. He talked at length in his autobiography about the dynamic in the Stoke City Football Club dressing room, the last but one club before he retired, and specifically about how players talk about their wages and their kit deals. He named one specific player that was so bothered about what people thought of him that he lied about his salary and he lied about his boot deal. The player did that because he was just desperate to project an image of himself. He was more bothered about that than the reality. Crouch talked at great length about the implication of the lies, the damage that was caused. He said it was damaging in two ways. Firstly, there was massive arguments in the dressing room because other players began comparing themselves with this player. There were some players on different wages or same wages. Some players had the same sponsor, but they were, seemed to be getting different kit deals. There was all kinds of uproar as they couldn't believe the differences between them and that player. There was division and there was arguments. Secondly, a significant issue developed between that player and the manager. Because not only was he lying, he'd undermined the manager. And ultimately, he was making the managers more difficult as there was chaos in the dressing room. Crouch explains ultimately that it was brilliant as this player was outed as a fake. The other players absolutely battered him, coloured his boots in black and gave him a load of abuse. He was, as you can imagine, Peter Crouch loving it. But the damage was already done between players in the dressing room and between him and his manager. And here, James says, when we cultivate selfish ambition, and envy, there'll be significant damage in two directions. And it's a little bit like Stoke in the dressing room. It's horizontal between people and their peers, and it's vertical between the person and their ultimate authority. Here's the damage of earthly wisdom. It's horizontal and it's vertical. Look at 4 verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? that battle within you? See, the result of a heart that is turned inward, that is desperate to exalt self, there's a horizontal damage. One of the effects is that that earthly wisdom damages relationships. That's obvious, isn't it? When we choose to exalt self above others, there will be fights and quarrels. When we're more concerned by our desires, than that of someone else's, there will ultimately be conflict. I wonder what attitude causes you to time and again put your own interests ahead of that of your family, friends, colleagues, your church family? What personal endeavour that you concentrate all your time, your emotions, your energy, what of that has a negative effect on your relationships? You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. That's what James says. Just think of any relationship that you are in at the moment that's in any state of conflict. Friends, neighbours, family, church family. Maybe afterwards you could write a full list and, and go through. But with that one relationship, and, and I must stress, you may not be at fault. It might not be your fault that it's in a state of disrepair. You may even be striving to 
act in godly wisdom in dealing with it. But where is selfish ambition or envy damaging the chances of repair of that relationship? Are you more bothered about being proven right? Are you too proud to make the first move? Are you unwilling to forgive? Are you hesitant about apologizing because you don't want to be seen to be weak? And maybe as you think about that conflict and you think about where selfish ambition or envy could be the cause or, or the reason that it's not being resolved, maybe you could do something about that. And James says, the damage of this kind of wisdom, it's not just horizontal, it's vertical too. Look at verse three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, James is talking about a mindset in prayer as we approach God. When our mindset is focused on self, self-exaltation, we'll go to God with ultimately what we want. We ask with wrong motives, James says, that ultimately what we'll do is we'll fuel the fire of self-indulgence. In the book, Honest Evangelism, that we read as a church last year, Rico Tice writes this, we turn God into a divine waiter. He is there to deliver our daydream to us. We touch base with him on a Sunday. We put our order in via prayer. We might give a decent tip in the collection plate, but God is essentially there to give us what we feel we need. And we get furious with him if he doesn't deliver. Does that sound familiar? And that's even if we are praying. Because when we make ourselves number one at all costs, prayer creeps out of the picture. And that prayerlessness indicates a lack of dependence on God. It indicates a desire for autonomy, doing things in our own strength, away from God. And James says that mindset is damaging. Look at verse four. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? See, James is saying the result of a heart turned inward is there is vertical damage. Sin affects our relationship with God. What does he say? You adulterous people. That's meant to be a brutal picture. Like a husband or wife walking in on their spouse in bed with another person. It's brutal. You adulterous people. Enmity is like the, the painful hostility that comes from marital unfaithfulness. All of that feeling. Because when we choose to exalt self, when we choose to be all about me, 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 we choose to cheat on God and we create that kind of hostility. That's how serious it is to harbour selfish ambition and bitter envy in our hearts. That's what James is saying. That's the damage. It's both horizontal and vertical. Well, what's the solution? If you could summarise the solution in six words, it would be this. In verse six, but he gives us more grace. See, the only answer to the problem of self-indulgence, self-exaltation, self-obsession 
is the new birth that comes by spirit-imparted new life. That's what James has said already. That comes as we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. He gives us more grace. Remember chapter 1, verse 18 that we looked at? When there was nothing we could do in and of ourselves, he gives us new birth through the word of truth. He gives us more grace than we deserve. And now, when we have that life, that new life, and yet we still return to those old ways of living, that James is helping us to recognize week by week through the book, what does God do? But he gives us more grace. He goes on transforming us to be more like the Lord Jesus. So James says this in verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The solution to earthly wisdom, the solution to its effects, its damage, to acting out of earthly wisdom, is not to work really, really hard to not be like that. It's not to work really, really hard to try and be wise in a godly way. It's to first submit yourselves then to God. And as transformed people who are going on being transformed by the Spirit, God will make us more and more like Jesus as we submit to his word. See there in verse 7, he gives us that active role. Come before God in submission. See what he has to say in his word and actively resist the devil. That simply means saying no to the things that we're tempted to do, which God word, God's word tells us not to. Where are you actively resisting the devil in your life right now? Where have you been through the book of James? What will that process be like of resisting the devil? Look at verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do you remember the man in the mirror from chapter 1? Who looks in the mirror, notices the blemish on his face, and goes away eager to change. Well, when we look into God's word, when we have spirit-imparted new life, we'll look... And we'll see the things that need to change. We'll see the changes that need to be made. And we'll come away with that desire to change. So God, in giving us more grace, reveals to us where we're prone to acting out of earthly wisdom. Which means this evening, if you're feeling challenged, if you're feeling rebuked, if you're feeling like grieving because of some way in which you know that you're acting out of selfish ambition or you know you're breeding bitter envy if you're feeling rebuked you're feeling like grieving good that is good because that is a process that should be like washing our hands regular keeping us clear of infection that's what james says it keeps us from being double-minded Look at verse 9, it is right that we would grieve and take it seriously. It's 
right that we would grieve and take it seriously. But look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Do you see, it's so important. Don't go anywhere else with that feeling except in humility before God. It's so, 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 so important that verse 10 follows straight from verse 9. In the moment we recognize the seriousness of our sin, when we see the thing that needs to change, we must humble ourselves before God and let him lift us up because he gives us more grace. He will lift you up. That unsettling feeling within you, it's a good thing. It's a sign of life. It's the spirit within you causing you to be more like Jesus. It's the feeling of this should not be. It's the recognition that you have new life now. And that behavior, that way of thinking, it belongs to the past life. It's time to wash my hands. But when we recognize God's immense grace to us and we see our sin, the thing that needs to change, we must come before God in humility and recognize his immense grace to us. Here's what it says in a book I read this week that I thought was really helpful. There's always a connection between God's grace and our obedience. One commentator said it like this, the God who says, here is my grace to receive, says in the same breath, here are my commands to obey. His grace always precedes our obedience. This is important to remember for two reasons. Firstly, our obedience doesn't earn God's grace or love. And secondly, our obedience is proof that we have received his grace. We are unable to obey on our own. But praise be to God. He gives us more grace. And so James pleads, just don't do it anymore. He gives us more grace. Look at verse 11, brothers and sisters, don't slander one another anymore. Do you remember the tone with what you, which he's saying this through the book? Each time he says brothers and sisters, it's like he's pleading. He describes that he's desperate that the believers wouldn't do what they used to do. This should not be. And it might just seem like, well, it's just a bit of flexing of earthly wisdom. It's okay to, you know, just look wise in the world's eyes sometimes, isn't it? It's okay to pursue a bit of selfish desire and ambition sometimes, isn't it? Well, what's at the heart of speaking about someone behind their back? What's at the heart of gossiping about the way someone isn't parenting well? What's at the heart of mocking someone for the way that they speak or conduct themselves in social company? What's at the heart of casting judgment on the way something operates and, and speaking about it behind people's backs? What's at the heart of plowing all my money into one selfish am ambition, no matter the consequence? What's at the heart of pouring all of my time into one project at home and not giving any thought to a church family? What's at the heart of feeling sorry for myself when Plans aren't going as they wanted. What's at the heart of being desperate to tell all my friends about this one achievement? It's the desire to exalt self, to promote myself, often by way of treading on someone else. James says, if we have new life by the Spirit, our deepest desire is not to exalt self anymore. So James says, don't do it. Don't slander one another. Don't be judges of others. Don't pit yourselves against God. You don't need to. 
it's not you anymore. He says, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, please would you help us this evening to humble ourselves before you, that you would lift us up. Help us to see the ways in which that we're tempted to act out of selfish ambition and bitter envy. And Lord, cause us by your spirit to act in godly wisdom, to humble ourselves before you and be transformed to be more like the Lord Jesus. Amen.